Hey everybody, it's Neil Life from The Vergecast. We have a super special episode this week. Dieter and I sat down live with Hiroshi Lockheimer and Steph Cuthbertson from Google. Hiroshi is the SVP of Chrome OS and Android. Steph is in charge of Android. We are in front of an audience at the Computer History Museum right after Google I.O. We talked about everything Google announced. We talked about the future of Android, future of Chrome OS, all the other stuff. It was really fun. Check it out. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Virtcast, the flagship podcast of Google I.O. Oh, they didn't leave. <laughs> I am Neil. I am a friend. Dieter's here. Hello, everybody. This is a very special episode of the Virgecast. We are actually live at the Computer History Museum. It's day two of Google I.O. Yep. I have to say, I uh, love it here. I don't know if anybody, anybody in the audience, we have an audience. If you're in your car and you just hear people randomly scream the word Android, it's because we have an audience, yeah. and I foolishly told them to do that. Uh, but we're at the Computer History Museum, which is wonderful. Dieter and I walked around earlier, and he, he made me leave uh, because I didn't want to leave. Uh, this place is great, so I encourage everybody to come visit. If you guys are here, you get a chance tomorrow, come back and look. There's an actual functional like first-generation Cray supercomputer back there somewhere, and I had like a deeply emotional moment. It's, you shouldn't have an emotional moment with like a piece of hardware from the 70s, but I did. Uh, okay, so Dieter. Yeah. It's Google I.O. It is. Oh, I need to tell the people in their cars one more thing. We have what? guests. We do. Uh, Hiroshi Lockheimer and Steph Cuthbertson from Google are here with us. We're going to talk about Android in a little bit. But first, Dieter, let's talk about I.O. What happened here? Uh, just a ton. So if you're here, you probably know. But the, so we have a new version of Android that's been out for a while, but there's a new beta. It's Android Q. Android is the 10th version of Android, which is a big deal. We have, what else do we have? It's all blanking yeah. at me. Uh, no, so <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff in Android Q. There's a big keynote yesterday. Yep. Uh, they announced a bunch of new assistant features. Yep. Assistant can now uh, control your life. <laughs> so the, the, the cool thing about the assistant is they, they showed off a, a next generation demo where the assistant can work locally on the device and it uh, they can use this, the thing where it continues to listen to you, and they just rattled off commands like as fast as they could, and the phone just kept up and did it. Right, and the, the technical achievement there was they moved the model, the voice recognition model, locally to the phone. Yep, and there's, they shrinked it way down. They, yeah, they shrunk it way down, and it, there's, they said it will come to the next pixels. It'll come to new pixels. 
which um, confirmed Google will make more Pixel devices, <laughs> in case anyone is confused about that. Sure. Uh, so now it's biggest system news. They're, they're, they're moving it locally. Mm -hmm. Unclear whether it will come to all existing phones or just the new ones. <laughs> Yep. That's very exciting. Yep. There's a big focus on privacy here. Uh, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. Uh, I thought our headline was quite clever because we, I mean, he wrote about privacy, yep. but he took some, some clear shots, I think, at specifically Apple. Yeah, privacy is not a luxury. Privacy is not a luxury good. Yep. And he, he said, in the op-ed, he said it some other places, mm. uh, you shouldn't have to buy an expensive phone or subscribe to a subscription service to have privacy. Yep. I think that's gonna get unpacked a lot. There was, a, during the keynote here, I'm sure if you guys watched it, if you're in the audience, there was a plane flying yeah. above the keynote. I don't know who that, it wasn't me. <laughs> I was in the audience, it wasn't anybody I know. But the plane had a banner that said, Google control is not privacy. And then there was a hashtag, I don't know what the hashtag was. I'm not boosting the plane is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but like, that is fundamentally, I think, the big conversation that will, yep. will occur on privacy. Well, and so the, the privacy conversation in, in the context of this I.O. in particular is fascinating because on, on the one hand, Google is uh, talking about the things it's doing to uh, protect your privacy, give you options to, you know, have your data removed if you want to. Uh, Incognito mode is coming to more many other services. Cookies. And, but at, uh, on the flip side, they're also showing off a bunch of stuff that they're able to do with the assistant in particular in their machine learning that you kind of think is enabled by all the data they collect. So there's a huge emphasis on accessibility, uh, which is normally a snooze, but the, the features that were shown off were just, just flat out mind blowing. There's live caption on Android, which can just just transcribe text in real time from any video. Mm -hmm. we, we saw a bunch of lens demos where it was able to uh, read and translate text in real time, either spoken or just translate it there. Uh, so for people who like literally can't read or want to be able to do a different language, um, just transformative technology. So there's like there's this very fascinating like yin yang of like Google can do this amazing stuff. But Google is also aware that everyone's freaked out about privacy, and they need to balance those things. And so that's like I felt that thread running through the whole keynote. Yeah, and I think that's just a, a tension that we're we will all explore together on our journey <laughs> through the worlds of technology. But the idea that you should trust one vendor with a lot of your data because they will do very uh, useful things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the way that Sunar referred to it, and everybody at Google is talking about, it, is they want to be very helpful, and I think that requires them to know some things about you. Uh, they announced a new version, a uh, new feature of Duplex. Yep. Along the same line, um, Google Duplex last year they announced it can make phone calls for people. Yep. It did ship. Yes. Some people are using mm -hmm. it uh, now. It can use the web for you. Well, it can fill out web forms. Which yeah. thank you. I like that. But you can like tell the assistant like rent you a car and like go and like plug in all the data. Do the stuff. I feel like people at Google might rent cars more often than I do. <laughs> like you like solve the problems you have. Yeah. Like I rent like two cars a year. I'm never like ah. If only filling out this form was harder or easier. <laughs> I'd just be renting all kinds of cars. No? I, I'm trying to make a Mustang joke here because he only rents Mustangs and I can't get there. So. I live in New York. I don't have like a lot of opportunities. You can't like, anyway. Uh, new hardware. So yeah. there's the Google Nest Hub Max. We should talk about that first. Yeah. So you might know Nest. Um, it was a company and then it was a company that was bought by Google. Yep. And then Google reorganized itself into a more confusing company called Alphabet. And then they made Nest another company inside of Alphabet. They were the N. Yep. Sure. <laughs> this crowd did not go with me on that. <laughs> but like they have like Verily, like they're, you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought them back into Google. Yep. But they were running parallel with the other Google. So back into Google in the hardware division, but sort of still just 
doing Nest stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, Google's doing Google Home stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then a bunch of Nest people left, which is a fact. Yeah. And now Nest is fully part of Google, and uh, Rick Osterloh is in charge of it. Yep. And Nest is going to be the brand for home stuff, and Pixel is the brand for mobile stuff. And there's a, they're rebranding the Google Home Hub to the Nest Hub. Yep. And they put out a new, bigger Home Hub called the Nest Hub Max. Yes. Fucking daughter is named Max, and I need the tech industry to stop doing this to me. Uh, it's really, it's truly annoying. Yeah. Um, but it's great. So she can scream her own name. <laughs> Maybe a timer will begin or end. Yep. Uh, these kids are going to grow up weird. But it has a camera. That's the yep. main thing it has. Is it's a bigger screen, 10-inch screen. Has a camera at the top. The camera can function as an S camera. Yep. It can recognize your face, uh, but it does it all locally. Uh, although there's some weirdness where, like, you scan it on your phone, and then it gets stored locally on the device, but somehow your face has to get from the phone to the device. Yeah. Very confusing. But it does it all locally. Um, I actually had to correct my hands-on because I said it, when it sees your face, it tells Google that you're home. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't do that. It actually only knows it locally that you're home. But if you literally touch a Nest Hub Max, presumably Google would know because like, you're interacting with Google data in some way. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Unless you're the sort of person who carries a Nest Hub Max around with you. Ooh. It's like a giant battery pack in a yeah, Nest yeah. Hub Max. It's your phone. Yeah, it's how you stick it to the man. Yeah. Like, you don't know if I'm home. <laughs> She was in this very esoteric <laughs> protest against data collection. Uh, anyhow, yeah. so the, they put a camera at the top of it. Yeah. I'm actually very conflicted about this camera. We don't have to go into it. There will be more Vergecast where I promise you the conflict will surface, but the switch on the back turns off both the microphone and the camera. You can, you can do them one by one in the software. I don't, I don't trust any software. Oh, my God. <laughs> These people. These coders out here. I trust a single one of them. Um, no, but I would prefer to have individual switches or a camera yeah. cover. Mm -hmm. We were sort of told camera covers are inelegant. Ugly. Yeah, they are. Um, but I'm probably going to buy one because I, I, I love that product and I love how it works as a photo frame and yep. having a bigger, bigger screen is better. So that's good. So Nest is sort of like mm -hmm. part of Google. They're shutting down the works with Nest program. Yes. Big commitment to privacy. You can like read a bunch of Google blog posts about how they're rethinking privacy, what all the sensors will do, all the data they will share. There's a table, of, like a, it's just a very long table of every home product Google has, all of the sensors it contains, and what those sensors do. I think that's great for a person like me, and presumably for the people in this audience. I think there's a big question about whether any normal person standing in a Best Buy looking at a Nest Home is like, I gotta look at this table. That seems maybe a little, asking too much, but I think that's like where we come in, where the people in sort of forums and YouTube videos come in, but that's a big change. And then this piece of hardware. This is the Google Pixel 3a, Yeah. and there's also a 3a XL, and I reviewed them, and uh, they're great. Yeah. That's, that's like the whole kind of, thing. Yeah, you get a good camera on a $400 phone. Yeah, and yeah. the buttons are cool. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We've made everybody wait too long. <laughs> so let's bring out Hiroshi Lockheimer, who's the SVP at Google for Android and Chrome OS and stuff, and Steph Cuthbertson, who is the director of Android. Please applaud. This is your moment. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? Hello. Hello. So let's just start at the very beginning. Explain your roles at Google. What do you, what do, you do? What's your day like? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I work on Android. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm responsible for Google's consumer platforms and ecosystems. So within the company, uh, my group is known as P&E, Platforms and Ecosystems. So that's uh, Android, Chrome, Chrome OS, Google Play, Comps. Uh, when you say comms, you mean communications? Communications, yes, thank you. Which stands for messaging. Message, yes, yes. Okay. Messaging apps. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you do 50 things. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll save that for We'll, we'll get okay. there, yeah, we'll get there. I, I'm, I'm sure you I'm, I'm convinced we will get there, yes. All right. Uh, well, Steph, I want, I want to start. Uh, we were hanging out with Steph and Hiroshi earlier. Steph, you said Android Q to you is like a foundational release. Yeah. What do, you, what, what do you mean by that? Two things that I would talk about with Q. One would be security and privacy, and then the other is just innovation. So I think uh, with security and privacy, what you see is just an extension of kind of like a, a, a multi-year investment with Android and the culmination of so many different efforts. So across so many releases, we've been investing in security and privacy, and I think it was a really neat moment for the team to see something like the Gartner quote. We said, you know, 26 out of 30 categories, Android is rated the highest. Uh, we didn't say this on stage, but that makes it uh, significantly above, for instance, other leading operating systems. Would you like to name one? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that... Uh, you know, Linux that on the desktop. <laughs> But, I mean, and it's a it's a bunch of you know, things the teams have worked really hard on. It's uh, authentication, network security, uh, kernel integrity. These are really important things, and I think the team has put a lot of effort into that. So I think it was a, a proud moment for us. But when you talk about uh, Android being Android Q being foundational, I, I really think also about a set of multi-year uh, initiatives where we're setting up for that in Q. And I think the very best example is Mainline. Uh, mainline is a huge technical challenge, uh, a huge technical achievement. It's uh, in order to pull off something like that. So Mainline, what you're doing is you're updating individual modules of the OS just as directly as we do it uh, for Google Apps. And to do something like that, that means now we can you know, individually update, for instance, media, which is a very security sensitive component. To do that requires reworking our release processes, uh, our testing processes. Essentially, everything about how we build and distribute software, that is foundational. Uh, and I think it, it's cool in two ways. First, from that, this point forward, we can now update those components back to Q. Uh, so in you know n plus two plus three plus four, it also sets us up to be able to do more of this in the future. I think that's really exciting. So the the thing that I always have to say when there's a new version of Android is like this thing is amazing, mm -hmm. and um, the vast majority of consumers will uh, 
enjoy this in like two years. Mm. And you've gotten better at that in the past year. I know there's new numbers for how PE was updated. So mm. do, is, is mainline more about like just getting those security patches out and fixing that like, will these Android manufacturers actually install the monthly security patch? Or are you hoping down the line you might be able to like solve some of that like waiting two years for features? I think mainline is about um, it's a, about uh, an overall strategy about getting people the uh, best of Android quickly, mm -hmm. and mainline is just one piece of that. And I think this would be cool for us both to talk about. But uh, so you can see, for instance, with Project Trouble, we had 21 devices available with Beta 3 at launch. So like that's a, a direct result of the Trouble work. With mainline, we can now directly update pieces of the OS. Uh, so mainline addresses another piece of it, but it's not the only place. If you think about your experience of the operating system. Uh, for how many people in the room are Android developers? Okay. That's a lot for yeah. folks who are listening. Um, and so, uh, for, <laughs> I like it. If you're in your car, pull over and just imagine hands in the air. Okay, okay. So, uh, so for for all of us who are developers, you're using Android's APIs, and you probably notice that we're more and more making the API surface of Android, uh, Android Jetpack, which is modular. It's updated uh, uh, very frequently, and uh, when you're targeting Jetpack, you can be targeting really, you know, 80 to 90 percent of all devices. And then another big part of the experience on the phone is the apps on the phone, and those are up continuously. Now, uh, in some places, they you know they consider all of that like a monolith that's updated once a year. Right. We're really thinking about how do we uh, how do we update everything that people are experiencing on the phone, and that and that's at different at different levels. So yes, mainline is an important part of it, but it's an overall strategy. Uh, uh, yeah. No, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing about mainline is um, it's getting distributed through the Google Play infrastructure. Mm. And my understanding is like you don't you don't go and like look for an app update in Google Play. It just it happens silently. The next yeah. time you reboot, it gets applied. Yeah. Um, why are you doing it through Google Play instead of like a, a whole separate thing that maybe would apply to, I don't know, Amazon Kindles and non-Google Play phones? Uh, well, the mainline code is open source. Open source. Right. right. So, yeah. And we share that. Yeah. So even if you don't use our infrastructure, people could be put, you know, pushing it out. Okay. Absolutely. However yeah. they want. Oh, right? okay. So we're not precluding that. Right. Certainly. Yeah. In huh. fact, the, so the packages will all be uh, available. They'll be signed by Google. And right. so uh, everything about the, um, the implementation of mainline will be available for anyone to use. And then, you know, once you've got them, you have to have some way of distributing them. So I don't know if you have like a cool distribution technology in your pocket. RSS. We, Happen to have, you know. So you're like, here, I'm going to need a CDN. I got to have a way of putting. I need a packaging format, a way of pushing it out. Uh, and so we have to have in play. It's a, yeah. you know, kind of makes sense to use that. But you could really use it with any distribution, and uh, uh, I think it's relatively straightforward for someone to do the same thing as well. In fact, you know, what our goal is to get phones updated as rapidly as possible, and that's why we've made mainline open source. Do you ever think about changing yeah. the metric? I mean, right there, <clears throat> there's a certain other leading operating system. Desktop Linux. Yeah, yeah Desktop yeah, Linux. Yeah, heard of it. They, every yeah. year they have a huge. The Desktop Linux spaceship is very yes. popular. <laughs> um, but you know, they're like, okay, all all iOS devices are on the latest thing because yeah. they they are yeah. pushing that yearly update. Yeah. You guys are doing something much more diffuse, a little harder to grok. Do you ever think about just changing the metric and saying, here's where you're at with Play Services. Here's where we are with mainline updates. For sure, I think it. Uh, you know, it, it, the number, the latest number I saw, someone tweeted this yesterday. It might have been one of you. Probably not. Uh, but uh, I don't know why <laughs> I, I, I said do, that. I do tweet a lot. <laughs> you do tweet a lot, <laughs> but usually it's not. You know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> wow. Can we? Can someone just keep track of how many times Hiroshi burns me? <laughs> Um, someone <laughs> tweeted, you know, uh, good job, Google, for getting, you know, P to 10%. Yeah. Uh, but 
PS, the other OS is at 80% at this point. And I feel like that's kind of an apples to, no pun, or pun intended, you know, apples to oranges, ap apples to androids uh, comparison. Yeah. The, uh, Android isn't a fruit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a tasty treat. All right. Um, oh. Anyway, um, uh, I, I do think a more appropriate comparison there may be, for instance, you know, pixel devices and what's the update yeah. rate on that. Because really what we're talking about when we talk about Android is a, a host of, you know, a great ecosystem of devices. Not all devices update at the same rate. Um, and the 10% number you're seeing is the aggregate number of that, right? So depending on device classes or manufacturers, you get very different numbers. So that's one area that I think is different. And that 80, to 80 versus 10 uh, comparison is a little bit misleading, I think. And then you layer on these different technologies that we're deploying, like Mainline or Treble or the app updates. And so I think the, the story is a lot more complicated and nuanced than 80 versus 10. Yeah, you really walked into my next question on the Tasty Treat line. What does the Q stand for? <laughs> Not sure. Not sure. We're stumped a little yeah. bit. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, it's 10 years, you know, so we'll see. Yeah, it's a good I mean, it's a 10th version of Android. I think, uh, you know, Shakespeare says what's in a name. I think we're thinking a lot about, uh, as you think about the 10th version, what's an appropriate name for that? Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting reflection. What other questions do you have? That got super existential. <laughs> Yeah, well, truly, what is a name? Dieter was like a semiotics PhD candidate. Uh, yeah. like, we can go there. I don't think that we should. What's the next question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to answer that at all. It went so sideways. I'm just so used, to, so used to answering that. And by the way, anytime yeah. I tweet, I will guarantee someone responds with a, you know, the, whatever, Q confirmed or whatever the next thing is confirmed. So yeah. I, need to, I need a new shtick because I think people have kind of labeled me as the name person. Yeah. So yeah, if you could help me out with a, a new shtick. Quietly great. out of dessert options. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going to run out of the alpha characters too. <laughs> yeah. So, Seb, I'm actually curious from your perspective on the version thing, right? Because you yeah. spend so much time talking to developers. Yeah. Being on the latest version, for the end user, is like, it depends, right? You, you have big manufacturers who are shipping end user features, but it really matters way more for developers to know that they're going to target what OS they're going to be on. Yeah. Is, that actually, is that still a big concern for Android developers, like the latest frameworks aren't there for them, or do think, Play Services solve it? Wait, I think there's, um, there's been several developments that have been really uh, valuable. I think uh, first, uh, for everyone who's using the Play Console today, if you're a developer, you, what you don't want is a set of generic statistics. What you want to know is, what is my user base using? Uh, because uh, device... Uh, variegation is you know, pretty intense across regions, across user bases, and so what's so cool about the Play Console today is you can go in, you can say, okay, I'm Eli, I have this set of users, and they're using this set of devices which have these characteristics, and you can use that to figure out how to target your application. So it's really the type of data that you want. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. And then the other thing we were talking about yeah. in terms of being a foundational release, mm -hmm. there is a new class of form factors coming. Yeah. Her, we saw, Hiroshi still has a fold, like Samsung won't take it we back from him. They sent the cops to Dieter's house. So it, was like very, it was very dramatic. Uh, that, was for, that was for a different reason. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, there's a new class of display technologies coming out. There's a new class of form factors out. Are you aggressively thinking about those now in terms of like it being foundational or? Is that your way, like yeah, wait and see mode? For sure. Yeah, you talked about it a little bit on stage even. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, uh, when I think about innovation, I, I, would, I would think about both uh, you know, form factors, how uh, hardware is innovating, but also software with ML. I think uh, live caption that mm -hmm. Dieter talked about, it's just incredibly interesting. I take those one at a time. I think you know, with hardware, you've seen just this kind of amazing evolution driven by the 
uh, by their hardware manufacturers. If you've ever been to, we go to Hong Kong every year and meet with all of the OEMs. It's an incredible experience because you just get this sense of the power of that ecosystem kind of driving forward, all independently innovating. It's kind of incredible. And uh, when you look at all the technologies that are coming out, I really think you know, foldables have the potential to really change how uh, developers work and what kind of things are possible. 5G also, I mean, imagine a phone that's now, so the way 5G works is you have these uh, millimeter waves and then uh, multiple uh, parallel connections from the uh, cell tower to the phone. Think about what kind of low, that, that low latency connection, you know, faster connection makes possible. I think it's opening up a whole new set of scenarios for developers. It's really cool. We're kind of like, wow, I wonder what will happen. It's are gonna you, be awesome. Are you also supporting 5GE? <laughs> the cop, like the AT&T police are coming now. Yeah. Right. The cops well, are on their way. Well, yeah, but real quick, okay. sorry, real quick, you wrote about this, I think, Dieter, about uh, the, the uh, foldable and how, as a user, too, that really changes, like yeah. changed how I interact with the phone in ways that I didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was a lot more mindful about how I use my phone because... Because this, it would break. <laughs> <laughs> Seems very obvious. <laughs> this broken phone changed the way I used it. Well, my, mine's not broken, and I still use it. And uh, um, it changed it because the screen in front is, you know, for me at least, and I think it was for you based yeah. on how you wrote it, it's, about it. It's, it's too small. <laughs> no, but I used it a lot for triage, but then yeah. I was a lot more intentional. You know, when right. I opened the device, I knew I was, there was a digital yeah. well-being aspect to it in a way that I didn't really expect, yeah. but I thought was kind of cool. Okay, so if we're talking about supporting lots of, you know, new form factors, the, the biggest trend in, form, in phones is like the bezels are getting smaller, fewer buttons, and so the next 45 minutes of this podcast mm. will be Dieter has feelings about how you swipe on a screen. Um, so the new, the new gesture thing, you, you mentioned it on stage, uh, didn't really talk about it. Um, it, it seems pretty familiar. Uh, <laughs> Look, if, you're, if you're listening at home, Hiroshi and Seth are looking at each other to figure out who will answer these set of questions. <laughs> no, no. I was just going to figure out, I was going to see if Hiroshi was going to pull out one of his post-its. So Hiroshi oh. has a list of post-its of all the questions that Dieter's going to ask. I should, I should explain this. Okay. It's kind of like a magician trick. You know, yeah. you see a magician and they already know what number you're going to pick. So they're like, so, so I figured I would write a bunch of post-its knowing what questions. Dieter didn't tell uh, me what like questions he's going to ask. But I actually... <laughs> we so. definitely had gesture nav, so See, point for that us. That is a gigantic so stack. Magic tricks. Let's do this later. It is a giant stack of post-its that look like they belong on a yarn wall or a conspiracy wall. It's a lot. All right. It's been in my pocket all day. Okay, so. Update rates. We have that already. Okay. We covered that. Um, let's see. Uh, we'll get to that one later, I'm oh, sure, God. so I won't tell you. Uh, Mainline, we talked about that. Okay, great, great, oh, my great. God. Yeah. Uh, hold on, hold on. Uh, I wrote down Palm WebOS. You, you, I'm sure you'll ask about that later. Oh, man. Um, you know. Anyway, I have some more, wow. so we'll, okay. we'll go through those later. Yeah. Gestures. Uh, gestures. <laughs> <laughs> we should just let them do the show. <laughs> I feel like we got a point when Dieter asked for uh, gesture now. So in P, you, you, you sort of like, yeah. it seemed like there, you were conflicted about whether or not it was a good idea to swipe around to do stuff, to get around on the OS. And, and I sense you're conflicted. I'm not I sure was. if we're and conflicted. In, in Q, it's like, okay, wow. no, this, this, this just works in a very familiar way to, in a way that uh, uh, another operating system that I'm, I'm just going to say the iPhone works. Um, also, I think it's very similar to how Huawei does it. There it um, is. Where's the card? 
mentioned it. <laughs> um, how did you come to the decision to uh, change up the uh, the gesture interface again yeah, and no, go to this? Seriously, it's actually it's a very good question. So uh, display technology has been evolving a lot recently, and it's been opening up more pixels on screen. I think that's really exciting. You're seeing large screens, especially uh, with notches now evolving uh, edge-to-edge glass. And especially as you look at the devices with edge-to-edge glass, users want to be able to take advantage of all that screen real estate. Uh, and like, yes, the industry is innovating. We definitely looked at that. There's a lot of innovation also happening in apps, uh, doing interesting gesture nav systems. Mm. But ultimately, the big driver for us in the OS uh, is looking at what users want. And so we did a lot of studies of different gesture navigation models. Uh, we also considered what people like in Android. So uh, all, of, all of you who are Android users, on average, Android users use the back button about 100 times a day. So that's like a really important concept to keep in there. And so the gesture nav system that we built is just based on looking at the best of those concepts and what users found the uh, allowed them to maximize that edge-to-edge glass. But, but like, take me into like the room. Yeah. Like, it's like Android Q meeting one. I'm just, I don't know how yeah. these meetings work, but I'm assuming there's the first meeting about Q, and you're like, yeah. okay, we're gonna we put out these gestures in P. We're gonna we're gonna iterate them in Q. Yeah. At any point, did someone raise their hand and be like, um, they did this at the spaceship? Like, because it is it is remarkably similar to the iPhone. Is that you want to get drive a bunch of iPhone switchers and to keep it familiar? Is it this is just where the industry is? Is it this is just the best idea? I think in general, for most uh, OS decisions, it comes down to looking at what do users want. And I think with gesture navigation, there's a lot of different opinions. And user, really, we go back to user feedback. But and, and as yeah. Steph pointed out, a hundred times people do back. On yeah. Android, I mean, back does not exist on desktop Linux, as you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, there are there are pretty meaningful differences. I mean, we yeah, live yeah. in a very different sort of the system is different. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, one thing I just wanted to add, uh, you know, we added as you as you pointed out, we added gestures in P. Uh, that was partly because also, you know, when we meet with these OEMs, our partners, getting a lot of feedback saying, look, we're innovating on the screen, we're getting higher, you know, ratio of any screen to device. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want to maximize it, you know. So that was also their proxy for user feedback as well, right? Because they're yeah. making these devices. Right. So we take all those sort of factors into consideration. But do you think UI like metaphors collapse over time? This is something, you know, early smartphones. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening on the screen. They have sort of coalesced into a single set of behaviors. Gestures are really new, except for WebOS. RIP. Um, <laughs> he's so proud of himself, Dr. Palm over here. Um, but like gestures are really new, it feels like they're starting to coalesce. Is that something that you guys see and think about, or is that just the industry takes you where it's taking you? Uh, we do think, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, which probably translation means no, <laughs> uh, but uh, we do think some consistency around gestures, I'm talking within Android now, because yeah. there's many different gesture modes based, based on manufacturer within Android, right? right? And we do think some consistency there is important for users, but also for developers as well. Yeah. So that is something we are actively working with the OEMs on to make sure that we sort of converge on a consistent way that the system behaves. When you say actively working with the OEMs, are you really saying we're making everybody use these gestures so that Android phones are consistent and there's not 50 different ways to navigate on the Android phone depending on which one you buy? It beca- you know, it's a little, our relationships with OEMs are a little more nuanced than, you know, we just tell them what to do, as, 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 as you probably imagine. Um, you know, they have their own ideas. Certain OEMs have more ideas than others. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's a statement of fact. Um, 
so we work with them. You know, when we, we hear their feedback, we, we do value these partnerships, right? Android without partners, whether they're OEMs or operators or app developers, we're nothing. So we do part, uh, value these partners, and we talk about this a lot, and we have healthy debates, sometimes unhealthy debates too. Uh, uh, and in terms of the gestures, we're out there just really trying to make sure that they understand from a developer's perspective. Yeah. I think that's where they really value our input, because we understand we're sort of helping shepherd this ecosystem of developers, and that's sort of the, one of the expertise that, that we bring to the table. So from that angle, certainly, we're talking to them a lot about this right now. So as long as we're talking about working with OEMs, I actually have like a two-parter for both of you. Uh, so you work with a bunch of external OEMs. You also work with an OEM across the hall that makes a pixel. Different building. Different building. Um, and then on the software side, you're making Android, and then there's also this... Um, this thing called Google Assistant that is slowly taking over everything everywhere. It's like the Borg. Um, and it's doing more and more stuff inside Android. And so how, when you're creating a new version of Android and you're working with Android, how do you uh, work with the Pixel team on the one hand? And how do you work with uh, you know, the, the Assistant team, but more generally like the other parts of Google that are making software that like, want to be like a first-class citizen on Android? How do you navigate those things? Yeah, maybe I can start and Steph, please jump in. Uh, I would say almost a constitutional aspect of Android is we, uh, from a platform perspective, the Android platform, we don't favor any developer over any other, right? So that includes Google. Uh, and, and as you know, it's open source, so you can see if we're doing that or not, right? If you, if you see it, if Google in the Android open source, please let me know, because that's not really supposed to happen. Uh, now I'm probably going to get a bunch of emails from people <laughs> saying, ah, that's not the way. But it, that's really, conceptually, that's not really what we're about. We are about an open platform that, that is not favoring any one uh, uh, company over another. So that's at the Android level. So uh, even at the manufacturer level, right, we work with, you know, my team at least, because we don't represent the Pixel team. That's, a, as you pointed out, that's Rick's team. That's a separate group. Uh, we treat them uh, like an OEM, just like we treat Samsung or LG or Huawei or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we do keep sort of those firewalls in place, and the OEMs are you know, fairly satisfied with that. They understand that's how the system works. They, they share secrets with us. We don't share those secrets with anyone else, and that's how that system, system works. And in terms of first-party app developers, you know, first-party app teams, they use our APIs, and they give us feedback. We also get feedback. Maybe you can talk about the feedback mechanism you have with yeah. uh, you know, the third-party developers as well. Yeah, and it's really the same for first-party. So uh, for instance, if you take a look at the, the privacy settings that you and I looked at yeah. earlier, uh, one of the things you'll notice is you can now go in and see uh, sensitive resources like camera. And in that, we're treating first, what we call first-party developers. Google apps and uh, non-Google apps are treated exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Same for the location controls we treated there. They're treated the same. Same for the location reminders. They're treated the same. So I think what Hiroshi said is exactly right. Android's open source, it's AOSP, and we think of it as a, uh, a platform on which many, uh, many apps build. Some of those apps are built in buildings closer to us and some further away. Sure, I, I, I believe all of that, but yeah. it also, I also believe that uh, if, as long as you're using a, a Google Play version of an Android phone, it seems like more and more like doing that without the Google Assistant being around uh, is hard. Like it, uh, you know, voice interaction is becoming more important. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Like I, I, when I plug a new phone into my car for Android Auto, I have to make sure I like drive outside of my garage where I don't have internet, and then park, and then wait for the assistance to talk to the internet to for Android Auto to work. Uh, it just seems like the the line between Android and sort of Google Assistant stuff is for me getting fuzzier. 
Hmm. Uh, yeah. That's just me. If, if you're, if you could see what were the blank stares, I guess would be yeah. the caption yeah. right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys yeah. never talk to the assistant team. No, we do. Of course, we do talk. To, but we also, not, not what we said. Yeah. Uh, we do talk to the assistant team, but we talk to a lot of app developers, sure, sure. third parties. Do you well. think about the assistant as a, a core feature, like system level feature of, of like the Play Android, or is it like another app that runs on top of your operating system? Uh, uh, so, uh, as Hiroshi talked about, so Android is uh, AOSP code, and the assistant is outside of AOSP. Okay, yeah. so that's part of the like the play stack. Yes, and uh, when things are outside of AOSP, uh, they're pluggable on Android. So it was, uh, you could have one assistant or another assistant, just like you could have uh, other types of components that are plugged into Android. Yeah, so I think this kind of like leads into the big set of questions around what is happening with Android, like around the world. So in Europe, the EU said you have to unbundle Android from Play and Chrome and this other search. That has resulted in something I think is deeply funny, which is a browser ballot in Android, which is like a very browser and search engine ballot. Two ballots. Actually. Two ballots. Two yeah. ballots. Uh, voting is great. Democracy is cool. Um, <laughs> but you had to like engineer this stuff. Do you do you think about like the competition aspect as you're like building? Like, do your product managers think like the Europeans will be mad at us if we like make this more integrated, or do you have the lawyers look at it later? Like, how does that work? Yeah, we in general when. Uh, whether product managers or designers or engineers are developing, their job is not to think about competition law. You know? So their job is to think about how to delight the user and, and, and so on. And as I mentioned earlier, our philosophy really is fundamentally, it's an open platform. We're not favoring any company over another. So uh, that's kind of in our DNA, I would say. You know, that's, that's, we take pride in that. Um, and uh, just to give you an example, uh, a lot of the, if you go to the Play Store and look at the top, uh, application, you know, category, wide category lists, you know, they're not necessarily, in, in many cases, in fact, guaranteed not from Google. They're from, in some cases, our competitors, you know, broader Google competitors, right? And that's okay. That is kind of the idea behind Android is that we're enabling this platform where you as a user get to use whatever app you want to use and set a lot of defaults the way you want to do. In many cases, Above and beyond any other platform like Desktop Linux lets you lets you do. Uh, I'm gonna just use that continually now. I'm just from now letting on. you know the Desktop Linux people are gonna be I super know. mad. I'm at so you. sorry. I love There's Desktop Linux. There's 400 of them left, yeah. and they have ideas. Hey, Neilai, thank you for those kind words. As you know, my uh, weekly segment is called "The Year of the Linux Desktop" with. A delightful plot twist brought to you by Christopher Nolan. We all knew that 2019 was going to be the year of the Linux desktop, but now it turns out there's a twist. It's basically that it's Windows, that Linux is sort of like a DLL now. You install Linux and then you install uh, WinRAR. I think that's what it's called. Is it WinRAR? WinZip? One of those, one of those freeware or shareware uncompression softwares. You know what I'm talking about. It's the year of the Linux desktop. Let's give it up. Good job, Microsoft. Thank you for bringing Linux across the line. Um, I will also note that this is basically what Microsoft is doing to Windows is the same way that Google is trying to get Linux onto the Chromebook, despite the fact that the Chromebook is based on Linux, which basically means Linux is so dangerous that you must sandbox it, but it's so powerful that you must include it. Um, 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. We should, by the way, I do have it posted on Chrome OS. We should talk about Chrome OS yes, where yeah. desktop Linux is important. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> so, so we need a new we You're need a new the biggest name. vendor of desktop <laughs> Linux on the planet. <laughs> uh, I'm basically asking, like, is that EU ruling where you unbundled it, you're going to charge for the operating system in Europe now? Is that really, like, has that altered your dynamic? Has it altered your roadmaps? Not from a product perspective, no. Yeah. You know, we think we've just to begin with, we feel like we've built a platform and an operating system and a system that's very open, more open than others. We think we've created a lot of help, create a lot of jobs and opportunities in Europe and so on. So fundamentally, we don't really necessarily agree with the decision, but of course we respect the decision and we comply and we're also appealing, by the way. Yeah, um, so, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, does it change our, our plans? No, because we feel like our plans all along have been pretty solid on, on this front. Um, uh, so yeah, we don't, we don't really have engineers or product people thinking about this stuff. All right, let me ask you one more question about bundling and integration. It actually comes from Twitter. Ali Basley, I think that's how I pronounce it. He asks, when are you going to make a carbon copy of iMessage and just actually win? You, you per perked up, Dieter just, perked up. Yeah, yeah. take yeah, the post-it, put it out. I do have a, do have a post-it. I put RCS comma rant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean... Look, <laughs> um, uh, the, the number of uh, tweets I've gotten uh, about this Pixel 3a saying, this thing looks great, I want to buy it. I don't want to buy an expensive phone, but then I'd have to become a green bubble, and so I'm sad. Um, the amount of work that you have to do to get um, carriers who, last time I checked, aren't the nicest, best people who have your best interests in mind, all agree on a messaging standard, which, by the way, is not encrypted, and it should be. Um, it's very frustrating to sort of watch that sort of happen, where on desktop Linux, you just you get a clean, secure, easy to use, easily discoverable messaging system. We're going to confuse so many people with this desktop Linux thing. That is not true of desktop okay. Linux. Right. Um, you get IRC. Yeah. <laughs> IRC is great. On iOS, you get iMessage. Yeah, okay. Um, Just to be clear. <laughs> I've asked you a million times why you don't just make an iMessage clone. I suspect I know what the answer is. So, like, I guess the better question is, uh, one, answer the first one. Uh, two, um, how, how are you thinking about that messaging strategy uh, and working with all those carriers to make RCS happen, given how slow it is, how painful it is, how the end state isn't encrypted, and uh, it's probably not going to be easily easy, as easy to use as iMessage is on iOS? When you say iMessage clone, you mean, because you know, their protocol, as far as I know, is not open. So you're, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. saying literally build something like iMessage, but isn't, doesn't connect to iMessage. Well, no. so, uh, uh, yeah. I'm going to sum up my friend Dieter yeah. one thing. iMessage lock-in is the thing that prevents switching in this country. Yep. Right? By in America. Yeah. Like, we get yelled at this about all the time. We're, we're specifically talking about the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, there's WhatsApp, whatever, like, fine. And they're interoperable. And you can see in other markets like China that leads to more switching. It leads to more hardware diversity. These are all, like, good things for consumers. Here, we, there is absolutely iMessage lock-in. Surely that bothers you. RCS does not appear to be a great head-up competitor to iMessage. You've launched, I think you probably know the number better than I do, is it 35, 80 messaging clients? <laughs> uh, are you, are you going to coalesce that down and say, okay, Google's going to 
do something better that's wider, that is more horizontally adopted, so we can ease the switching cost. Can I give you a brief history yeah. of RCS? Uh, which is actually, so, you know, I'm gonna- Can I I'm derail gonna... this podcast? <laughs> so, uh, People are driving, they'll fall asleep. <laughs> I'll make it really interesting, and I'll make it really brief. Uh, and, and actually, the full history of RCS, is, I, I learned recently, is a lot longer than this and, and a lot deeper than this, but I'll give you our involvement in RCS. A number of years ago, we were at an MWC, this is like four years ago or so, uh, the GSMA uh, said, you know, we have this thing called RCS that we've been trying for a while, it hasn't really worked. Android, you can really help us here because you're the platform provider. Uh, please help us. And we thought about it, and we realized, actually, this is really good because SMS, as many of you know, you know, is a 30-year-old technology or something. That is like the default messaging solution for Android. That's, that's a little strange, and we just want to modernize the platform. So we've now been working on RCS for many years. We've created a client. We've uh, helped sort of uh, shepherd the standards along as well so that we have this thing called universal profile where, where actually RCS can be interoperable between carriers and countries, which I know it sounds obvious but wasn't the case up until recently. Uh, and we're actually seeing some success, not in the US. I know your point is right. in the US. Yeah. But outside of the US, uh, RCS is definitely happening. The carriers are behind it, uh, and things are moving along. The US is tricky, for sure. Uh, and so we're having conversations with uh, you know, our colleagues in the, at the operators uh, to figure out how we can move this forward. I'll be honest, and I've mentioned this to them, so I'm not, it's not like breaking news. I'm a little bit frustrated at the pace of this. Yeah. Uh, it needs to get better. And, and then we can you know, deploy this and evolve the standards as we go along as well. You pointed out some shortcomings of the standard, and, and we can address those things as Do well. Do you think, is, is RCS robust enough where if, it, if someone wanted to make it encrypted by default that, that it's capable of doing that? I'm sure we can evolve the standard to handle these cases. And also, I should I'm also taking that as a yes. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> I should also I should also point out, you know, on Phi, for instance, RCS, you know, works, uh, and and uh, you know, I use it a lot, uh, and it's great, you know. So we want to we want to get this out there. We need the help of the carriers for sure, the American ones, uh, and and you know, we're in, we're in touch with them. How many more messaging apps will Google launch this year? <laughs> Zero. I, <laughs> Except yeah. for, yeah. I mean, but this is like, there's a reason I'm making a joke. Like, you, you've, you've taken several cuts at it. They, some succeed, some do not. Some disappear into the ether, never to be heard from again. Are you going to try again, or is RCS the bet? We're working on RCS. That's and you're going to evolve the standard? That's our goal, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that that is enough to, to sort of drive the sort of like lower switching cost behavior that you, you need to to grow Android adoption in the US? I don't know. Let's, let's say there was a, as you called it, an iMessage clone. Mm -hmm. Still the same question. Is that enough to you know, overcome the switching cost? Right? If, you're, if the assertion is iMessage is a form of lock-in and mm -hmm. people don't want to be a green bubble, well, even if Android had an iMessage clone, I assume in that scenario those iMessage clone users are green bubbles. Right? So we still yeah. have the same switching issue to deal with. Right? So that feels like across a number of things. You know, we just have to make sure that uh, to the extent that people want to switch platforms, we make it as easy as possible for them to do so. Stuff, so I want to ask you, so that's the US. I want to ask you internationally, your Android serves like two and a half billion devices. There are other huge ecosystems that you have to build for. Uh, you know, Sundar and Sage yesterday said like, we make things for everyone. Yeah. How do you address that enormous diversity of platforms, of uh, price points of hardware specs of use cases yeah. of honestly just different economies like as you're architecting Q you say it's foundational yep. what are the next steps you need to get to those other markets 
You know, I, I might answer that by talking about how we work with the developer community. Uh, so uh, Android's developer community is just amazingly diverse, especially because uh, people are building apps all over the world. And so what we do is we have an advisory board of developers who help us essentially figure out what's the vision of the product. And it's a group of people who are, you know, we select them because they're insightful. Uh, folks, you know, like, I know, we, I know we joke a lot, but like, Dieter has a lot of amazing feedback. We try to pick out... <laughs> It's not true. Okay. She's, she's just I was wondering where you're going because you were looking at Dieter when you said insightful and even pointed at him. So yeah. I was like, wow, okay. That's great. We, uh, <laughs> we, we try to find a set of people who are, who are really insightful and can give us great feedback, but also who are yeah. representative of the audience that we're building for. So developers who are you know, building really massive apps, but also developers who are relatively new to Android. And we look at uh, folks who represent the different, all the different aspects that we care about, folks in the United States, uh, India, uh, in, like across uh, different countries. And that group of people, we bring them together uh, once a year. We come together in person and we have just this am amazing conversation about, look, what, you know, what are the things you've liked best? What are the things you're most frustrated about? Here's a list of potential investments. You vote, tell us what you want us to work on. And the whole, you know, huge chunks of the engineering team are there, and it's just, just kind of an incredible conversation for us. What are the things that you've, okay. No, I was just gonna say, Steph is describing literally the road mapping process for that part of Android, right? Yeah. Like literally that's how they, she does her job with her team, and for instance, Kotlin came about in yep. large part because of this type of process that you went through. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, Kotlin is a fantastic example of, of an idea, the community like voted it up and said, look, we really want you to adopt this language yeah. And I remember I went and wrote code in Kotlin and thought, well, I see why. This is amazing. Okay. Uh, we're talking nerdy developer things. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Get in there. Uh, Verge fundamentally believes that we speak to a broad audience yeah. of people that are, um, they don't know everything, but they're smart enough to understand a lot of stuff. So I'm going to say some words and then tell me what's new with it. So Jetpack. Yes. What's, what's new in Jetpack? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are three big things that are new in Jetpack okay. this year. Uh, overall, what you're seeing with Jetpack is just an expansion of this API surface area that's mm -hmm. designed to make it easy to write apps on Android. Uh, but three big things. Uh, first, the camera X libraries. Yep. The, the problem that's designed to solve is, look, you're using the camera, but the camera is behaving differently on all these different phones. It makes it really hard to write to, uh, do development. And Camera X uh, makes it so a developer can write and call those APIs, and they'll behave uniformly across devices. Oh, okay. Huge time savings. Uh, the second thing is there is a, uh, just a set of improvements and a core set of components we call architecture components. Mm -hmm. Just a bunch of stuff you've got to do as a developer that we make easier. It's like managing background tasks and stuff like that. Uh, the third big thing we announced, I was just down uh, in the sandbox, is Jetpack Compose. Now, this is really cool stuff. So this is the, uh, it's a new reactive UI toolkit that we just open sourced yesterday, and uh, we're gonna be developing it in the open. What you can do with Jetpack Compose is it's a, so our, our UI toolkit, it's now, it's 12 years old. It was state of the art 12 years ago. That was a long time ago. And since then, the way of doing UI development has evolved, especially if you look at the web. There's just been some phenomenal ideas in development. And so what we're doing is taking the best new ideas in reactive programming, combining those with uh, Kotlin. So that's what developers basically said, look, I want you to build something that is, takes the advantage of these new, uh, new concepts, uh, takes advantage of the new language, and then I want you to integrate it so it works seamlessly with the code I already have. That's Jetpack Compose. OK, uh, scope storage. 
Yes. What is what's going on with scopes? I'm very confused by this. Like it, 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 it was an app can only look at its own storage and then you know, open it up a little bit. So what's going on with storage in yeah. Android Q? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, not, I mean, you have to be tracking closely to have caught uh, that. So um, <laughs> have you met my friend Dieter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what what Dieter's talking about is uh, in Q, what we've been doing is uh, in, in steadily improving the platform, but also responding to feedback. Uh, we look really carefully at uh, developer feedback in each of the betas, and that's why we beta uh, uh, early and often. And in uh, beta one and beta two, we got a lot of fantastic developer feedback where developers said, look, I understand why you're making these changes, but they're impacting me. And they said, look, can you please uh, think about doing this in X and Y different way? And it was fantastic feedback. Yeah. Uh, we t the engineering team talked a lot about it and said, yeah, we can do that. And okay. so that's what uh, the 2.5 releases. Okay. Uh, last one. And this one's like really, really technical. And uh, either one of you can answer. And I, I think I need like... You need to explain what it is and what it's for and why people should be paying attention to it. And that's Fuchsia. <laughs> so I do, ha I do have a Fuchsia car. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, was that just a whole slow a, build to a, that? A, a, applause. There's, yeah, no, thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> but what Dieter probably doesn't realize is I have a how to spell Fuchsia card. Because Ooh. Fuchsia is impossible to spell. Have yeah, you noticed yeah. that? There's I even misspelled it. it. Yeah, there's an yeah. S, uh, okay. a yeah. H in there. Yeah. Uh, so what is Fuchsia? That's the question, I believe. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't just about my cards, right? No. My magic trick. Um, so Fuchsia, Fuchsia is an operating system. You know, Google has a lot of open source projects and proprietary projects too, but the mm -hmm. open source ones are the ones that you, you see. Uh, and uh, Fuchsia is one of them. And we're looking at what a new take on an operating system could be like. And so I know out there people are getting pretty excited saying, oh, this is the new Android or this is the new Chrome OS or this is the new whatever, you know, insert your favorite product name is. And, and Fuchsia is really not about that. Fuchsia is about just pushing the state of the art in terms of operating systems and things that we learn from Fuchsia we can incorporate in other products or not. And also targeting, you know, I would say different form factors. Mm -hmm. You know, Android works really well on phones and, and you know, in the context of Chrome OS as a, as a runtime for apps there or et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of form factors, TV, wearables, et cetera. But um, uh, Fuchsia may, you know, may be optimized for certain other form factors as well. So we're experimenting. Certain, certain other form factors. <laughs> you guys are like twins. Yeah. That's cute. Oh, yeah, good. Nice. We're interchangeable as usual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Certain other form factors, you say. Well, you know, think about you know, dedicated devices, right? Things that may not be a phone. You know, right now, everyone assumes like Fuchsia is for phones. Yeah. What if it's not? What if it you know, could be used for other things? Certain other devices. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I see where this is going. So yeah. actually, let me Wait, take this. Because I don't. He, he only has three. <laughs> It, it, it's going to no answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you only have three post-its left, and I want to try to hit them all. So we actually have a question here. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna have, I'm being made to say these words. Noodle Shack on Twitter asks, when are we getting a decent, that's what he said, when are we getting a decent Android tablet, which I think is really related to Fuchsia and Chrome OS, two things you're also responsible for. It seems like Chrome OS and Android coming together a little bit more. Chrome OS is kind of the preferred operating system for these larger screen displays. Is that the future of the tablet? Is there a big Google tablet future ahead of you? I would say we're experimenting. You know, there's still many Android tablets out there yeah. uh, and still being sold. Uh, and uh, you know, we're you know with the Pixel Slate, we've tried uh, what a Chrome OS Chrome OS's take on tablets could be like. Mm -hmm. That's a detachable, I guess, but it is certainly in tablet mode as well. So we're experimenting. You know, you talked about how Chrome OS and Android are coming together. I kind of characterized it somewhat differently, by the way. Uh, they're both successful operating systems targeting very different use cases, uh, and we share technologies. So. 
uh, as an example, in Chrome OS, the way updates work. You know, that Pixel uses now that technology to do auto-updates in the background and so on. That's a, that's a Chrome OS thing that Pixel has taken. Uh, in the reverse direction, the ability to run Android apps. Uh, that's something that Chrome OS has adopted from the Android side. So that's kind of how we're doing, you know, sharing technologies in both directions. I don't know if you would call that like coming together. I would often get asked the question of when are they going to merge? And that's certainly not how we're thinking about it. Do you think that the, the future of desktop Linux? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but like you don't you don't make a proper desktop computer, right? You make Pixel books, you make phones, but the, very few people are like shipping tower computers running Chrome OS or shipping 27-inch all-in-ones running Chrome OS. Is that do you have an ambition to capture that part of the market as well and have these be like primary desktop workstations? And when you say desktop Linux, you literally mean desktop I Linux, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just to disambiguate yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I actually think Chrome OS, uh, you know, has a lot of advantages. You know, it's been built recently, so it has uh, advantages around security. The security regime for the system, I think, is great. Uh, the updatability, the statelessness, all these things, I think, make Chrome OS ideal for the next generation of desktop. I'll call it desktop computing, but it could be laptops too. Uh, uh, you know, those things aren't going away. And, and uh, you know, I think a number of years ago, people predicted tablets would take over and people wouldn't buy PCs anymore, and I don't think that's happened. You know, and that's certainly, I don't think that's gonna happen. And I think Chrome OS has a very uh, uh, interesting play there, for sure. So we're investing a lot in that space, absolutely. But do you think that's gonna capture share from Windows, from the Mac? Well, Cr Chrome OS is actually you know, growing in a relatively yeah. stagnant to, to uh, uh, well, I guess stagnant market. You know, it's actually growing. It's, it's the, I would say, the only platform uh, that's growing in that, in that market. Uh, I think Q4 of last year, it was over 20%. Uh, so it's growing considerably, uh, and, and we plan to continue that and even more. Do you think people are ever going to live in like a full Google ecosystem the way that you can live in a full Apple ecosystem? Like you don't have another kind of PC, you just have a bunch of Google stuff and operating systems? Uh, I guess I already live that life, and I think yeah. a lot of people already do live that, live that life. You know, I use a Chromebook. Um, very productive on that, as productive as I, I personally can ever be. <laughs> uh, uh, usually looking at Dieter's tweets, but um, uh, they are very just, attractive. No, they're very good. They're very good. They're just quality. reply, get back to work yeah. from time to time. That yeah. would help me out. Yeah. I'm just here to be dunked on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, Seth, I have two more questions from Twitter, and then I want to end on some big stuff, and then we want to look to the future. Yeah, these are very, very granular questions. I hope you're ready for this. Bray asks, where did the screen recorder go in Android Q Beta 3? <laughs> they just like took it away. <laughs> I don't know. Did it they go did, somewhere? Yeah, there's the screen recorder I mean, so feature is gone. The, the context here is on, on iOS, uh, there's a, there's a built-in screen recorder so you can like record a little video of what your screen is doing. And on Android, you've had to use third-party apps to do it. And it, the, some of them, like, they work pretty well, but they're also like, they require a lot of like knowledge to understand what the frame rates and stuff does. And so, we saw some early signs in beta one and two, I think at least two, that you were thinking about maybe putting a screen recorder into Android, and uh, maybe it's going away. And so like, is, is there a screen recorder coming to Android, and if not, is it, is it hard, or do you just think they're bad? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I think it, it sounds like, if I understand the question, you were looking at beta one and beta two and thought we were going to build a screen recorder and now. There's like a thing that's like. It was there. Found it. it was there. Yeah. And then it's gone in three. This is the Vergecast audience. They, they were paying attention. <laughs> okay. um, I, I mean, uh, we're always uh, experimenting and evolving all the way through the betas. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's coming back. <laughs> uh, okay, and then I'm going to try to not butcher this name. But Siri Tambo said, you actually, Seth, you, you mentioned 5G earlier. They say 5G seems like a natural application for RCS and other communications technologies. It, are you going to like push to get there with 5G as, you, as the carriers roll there? Is that a natural inflection point? For RCS specifically? Yeah. No, we're, RCS is independent of you know, okay. whether it's 4G or 5G. So we're, we're pushing ahead on, on RCS right now. Okay. Mm. Yeah. All right, so I have a very serious question to ask you guys. are both senior executives at Google. We've been talking a lot about the culture of how you build stuff, uh, how inclusive the company wants to be. There is protests happening at Google about the culture of the company. Uh, there was a letter today from the people who organized the walkout requesting that the company appoint some like, outside investigators into the culture of the company. How does that impact you? Do you? Are you thinking about that every day? Are you working on it? Yeah, so I haven't read that letter specifically, so I won't yeah. comment on that, on that letter. Uh, but talking about the, this generally, this topic uh, that you brought up, I think it's really important that we're having these conversations, you know, and, and uh, I think as a company, we're always stri striving to do better uh, and understanding, you know, we, it's a workplace, right? So we want people to be productive. Uh, and, and if things are getting in the way of their productivity because of these cultural issues, we have to address them. And so I think you've seen Google, for instance, has taken steps, uh, maybe not as many as these organizers want, but have, have taken steps. Uh, and I think the company will continue to do, do so. But otherwise, you know, in specifics of this letter, I don't, I actually don't know, so I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't make stuff up. Yeah, that's <laughs> a pretty good idea. But is it something that you talk about in your SVP at Google? Is it something that you were talking about in your leadership meetings? Uh, yes, absolutely. We talk about it, uh, uh, you know, within the company, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, what are the post-it notes that I didn't get? I have one that I, I wish you would do, which okay. is, I just wrote, <laughs> I just wrote, huh. Do you just, take requests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have a huh, just rant. Wow. Where I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, I just figured, you know, it's, it's, I have another okay. one. Q is incremental, iterative. I guess you covered that. Oh, so I did, I did say it felt incremental. The, the, this, this distinction between it being foundational and like people say incremental, and I actually think incremental is fine. Um, but, but, we talked about it at the top is it, it does really feel like you're setting up for like the next, I don't know, 10 years, but the next, yeah. next four or five years. Um, how often do you feel like when you're making a new version that you're going to release that you need to swing for the fences? And like, do you, are you, do you try and aim for like a TikTok strategy? Like we're going to do bug fixes and a couple fan favorites and then next year we're going to do the big stuff. I think it's, I mean, I don't think we really design that way. I think yeah. where you find uh, it, different points as you evolve, there are different inflections, and, so, and some of those you kick off and they take several years. So I think, a, two, let me give you two great examples. Uh, I think what you're seeing happen with machine learning, with live caption, mm -hmm. this is just unbelievable. The idea that you can now uh, take what was, was like a two gigahertz uh, finite state transducer running in the cloud, and now it fits on, you know, it fits on like this phone in 80 megs. Like that's just unbelievable technological achievement. And I think more interesting is what it makes possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think the, uh, that seeds of that set up really in P with, uh, you, you know, adaptive brightness, uh, adaptive battery, but in live caption you see uh, ML, oh, it's actually, it's captioning our conversation. <laughs> um, uh, um, oh my God. <laughs> Your phone has no signal. There we go. So I, I feel like uh, what's happening with ML, and you know, really what's amazing too is how you can do that in such a privacy sensitive way and the new ways that the OS can help you. I think that's, that's just transformational. Uh, I think if you look at digital well-being, you see something that's kind of at a, a different phase in its iteration where the, uh, 
the work on digital well-being last year was really amazing. And to be able to talk about stats in the keynote, like, look, you know, people who are using this reduce their nighttime use by 27%. Like, that's pretty amazing. And you see us uh, continuing to work on that because that's a multi-year investment for us. So I think what you're seeing is uh, it's not that one release is big and one is small. It's that in each release that we're kicking off, you know, different major initiatives and those extend over time. We're really trying to think of uh, think about uh, initiatives in a long-term way. Um, so, yeah. How do you measure that stat, that 27% stat? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, we defined we defined nighttime usage as between 11 p.m. and 8 a.m. and then we looked at the phone usage within that time period. So this, I think this leads to like the last big privacy thing, which is Google does collect a lot of data. Um, you obviously know when people are using their phones or not, and they've got the setting turned That's on. That's based on an opt-in, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that was just a user study where users. Oh, it was a user study. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, great. No, no, no further questions. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but you guys. I mean, this is a big theme of this I/O is, is privacy. Yeah. Um, you build an, an operating system that n no one pays for, right? Like, at least here, maybe in Europe now, you got to like pay a dollar or a euro or something, some number. Um, but you know, it's a free operating system. There is a lot of, I would say, uncertainty and confusion around the, the core business model. Regardless of what you, Google says, like people think you sell their data. Uh, how do you think about that as you're architecting Android for privacy? Is that becomes more and more of a focus? Is that something that you, like, your team talks about? Like, this is gonna be a privacy feature or is it kind of baked into everything? I think all, all fe uh, privacy and security is foundational. I think yeah. you, start from, you start from that frame. I think uh, actually live captions, another great example. You kind of start from the idea that, look, uh, everyone should always be in control of their data and who they share it with. I think you really see that with uh, the location controls are a great example. We make it very easy now to understand uh, what you're sharing. And even if you've forgotten, we'll remind you. Because we want to make sure that we're following your intention. Mm -hmm. You know how earlier you were asking if we have engineers and product people thinking about European competition stuff? Yeah. As opposed to that, privacy, absolutely, security, absolutely, we do want our product people and engineers and designers to be thinking about it. And in fact, they do, right? This is, and, and Steph was saying earlier, it is sort of a foundational part of how we think about it. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're over time. I can see the Google people like. I've been wait. typing time on my screen for you to. Oh, I don't look at your screen. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> no. I do, I actually stare at your screen all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of those things is good. Bulletin, I just want to end. This is a big I.O. You've announced a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You've been talking to a lot of developers and people, and us, rather unfortunately, uh, for a few days. It's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you, Hiroshi. I appreciate your support. <laughs> uh, what is, give me, give me the, like the, the next big vision. Like where, do you, where do you want this to go? Like what are the behaviors you want to see people? What are the things you want to see people build using the tools that you've given them? I that's a pretty big question. Yeah. You know, I think I'm trying uh, to end on some hope. Yeah, no, no. We talked. I think we talked about. I'm, I'm excited about how form factors are going to evolve. We talked a little bit about the foldables, but that's one example, right? There could be others. How the network is going to evolve, whether that's 5G, 5GE, or 6G, or 7G, or whatever it is, um, and how uh, you know, if you think think to, it wasn't that long ago. Like there are a lot of things that we do on phones today that we just wouldn't have imagined. At least I didn't imagine even just a few years ago the things that I do on my phones today. And so, what are the next generation of things that can be done on your phone, or I should call it device, right? Because they may not be a phone. Um, uh, I think that's pretty exciting. And how do we unleash the creativity and and you know innovation in developers mm -hmm. through our platform? That those are the kinds of things that we think about. Yep. 
I think that's, and at the same time, we want it to happen in a healthy way. Uh, that's why I think we're thinking a lot about digital well-being, because I think 10 years ago, you know, would you have imagined that people would be spending so much time on their phones? And so now that we're in that present, we want to we help people kind of find that balance. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you us. so much. It's been really great. Let's give a round of applause for Rishi. Thank you. Staff. I think we got to all the cards. I, I you think did? we, we you did. may have. You did. Except for a hot question mark rant. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned for Vergecast After Hours <laughs> with Dieter and Hiroshi just going at each other. That'll be at the bar. Uh, thank you to our wonderful audience. You guys were, were lovely. No one just randomly screamed the word Android, which is it both like great and also like slightly disappointing. So let's do it now. There it is. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to the Computer History Museum for having us. It's been lovely here. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. There it's, you got it. Promo.